can you have a cool song about acne? I mean, I guess you can. I guess. <laughs> they should have pitched that for like Noxzema commercials yeah. or something. Right. right. Especially in the 90s. Noxzema. Yeah. <laughs> Minor Notes, the podcast where we share our thoughts on an album from top to bottom. No skips, and we give some minor notes. That is Kate Griffin. And that is Gabby Alvarez. Welcome. If you're new here, Gabby is a music business professional, and I am a songwriter, and this entire second season of Minor Notes is dedicated to the discography of Foo Fighters. Yes, and today we're going to be discussing the band's third album, There Is Nothing Left to Lose, and we're joined by a special guest, Sean Murphy, UX designer by day, music fan by night, and he happens to be bandmates with Kate. Yeah. Hey, Sean. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Sean, are you a Foo fan? How how much of a Foo fan are you, if so? I am a Foo fan. So, then this is probably my favorite album, so I'll just say that. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I've been a Foo Fighters fan since 1995. Um, they were my first concert ever. I saw them wow. in New York, December 1st, 1995, at Roseland Ballroom. It wow. is very faded from being it's in, very faded in my wallet forever. I believe you. Everclear oh. opened before they were, like, big. It was pretty Everclear, fun. Everclear, my God. I know. That's another one you could go down. But, um, <laughs> yeah, they were, uh, they're, they've been, like, my band. So I've been, like, following them literally every album since they started. I just felt like I didn't hit the, like, Nirvana stage. Like, yes, I like Nirvana, but that was, like, people are, like, Free. a little older than me, you know? Like, Agreed, I'm 40. Yeah. So I felt like they weren't my band. Like, I appreciated them. And I felt like this was kind of, like, my band, like, it really got me into music, and uh, I kind of have been following them ever since. So, wow! Yeah. I did cool. not even know this. I mean, I knew you liked them, but I didn't know they were like that important to you. Yeah, your first concert—that's huge. First concert was amazing. Like my dad took me, and that's super formative. Yeah. So first concert, they were—it was their headlining tour. They were at Roseland Ballroom. They only had the first album. It was the first album. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, ninety-five. So I guess you're right. Yeah, ninety-five. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. So, Kate, what was your first concert? Me. Yeah. Um, I literally don't remember. It was probably really? NSYNC, if we're going to be real. I mean, yeah. I, I remember going to see NSYNC with my mom, so why would I ever go to a show before that without her, right? So it had to be that. Yeah, but if we're talking true. about like music, music... Like, NSYNC's not I mean, music, music! I mean, <laughs> so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, I mean, like, like, with bands and stuff, I remember my cousin taking me to go see Green Day and Weezer... Oh, nice. So if I was young enough where someone took me, I guess that would be my first, right? Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Gabby? Do you remember? The Backstreet Boys, obviously. Oh, obviously. But what about music, <laughs> like, music? Yeah, music, music. <laughs> music, music was Warp Tour. And it was oh. like, oh, I remember, like cool. Taking you know Back what? Sunday and Yellow Card and Coheed and Cambria. That might have been the same like, for me, yeah. Interesting. Okay, wow. Yeah. That's funny. Nice. Aside from like local shows, in between Backstreet Boys and exactly. Warp Tour was like local shows. 100%. So, Sean, no uh, NSYNC or Backstreet Boys for you, I'm assuming. Not on this end. Nope. You were busy being very cool at Foo Fighters. <laughs> I was at Foo Fighters. <laughs> Well, it's not too late for you, Sean. The Backstreet Boys still tour. So I heard. Yeah, our, we'll our, our drummer is going John to see them. He's going to see them. <laughs> really? Yes, he just told us last practice. I was a little bit jealous, but I was like, I can't go to that. I'm an NSYNC person. I can't go to that. Uh, well, I mean, you've made the wrong choice there. I mean, obviously. <laughs> one of them is touring uh, and the other one isn't, so. That's true. That's true. All right. Are we ready to jump in? Let's jump in. We are, yes. Do you want to start? Yeah, with the history? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so the last time we saw the guys, they had been performing The Color and the Shape with Dave on guitar and vocals, Nate Mandel on bass, Taylor Hawkins on drums, and former Scream guitarist Franz Stahl on guitar. They toured that album a ton, and they were really starting to take off bigger venues, bigger crowds. Franz was super excited to start writing. He wanted to be a creative collaborator on the next album. However... The chemistry was a little off, and for some reason it felt always like three to one. Franz was quoted as saying that he felt like it was Dave's band, and therefore he was a little bit hesitant to give input. He was still happy to be there, but like he wasn't really sure where his place was. Mm. And then things got so awkward that Dave had to ask him to leave, and he did it. Which I was so surprised about, because he was good friends with him. This guy was in his very first 
real band. So he, Interesting. Yeah, so he called him and was like, look, this isn't working out. And from what I understand, Franz was like kind of surprised. He was like, okay, news to me that this isn't working out. So it was awkward. Dave was quoted as saying that it was, quote, embarrassing growing pains in public. Like at this point, because we know he the band members have changed it a few times and he was feeling kind of down about it. Also, at this point, Sunny Day Real Estate, which is the band that Nate was in, was reforming, which they've done several times since then. Mm. And Nate was kind of like, I need to go back to that band. That's my first band. So we called Dave and he quit. And he was like, okay, I'm out too. And Dave was like, what are we doing here, guys? Like, I don't understand. And then the next day, Nate called and was like, just kidding. Like, I made a mistake. I'm back in the band. (laughs) So Nate was back in the band. Okay. So for the next album, There's Nothing Left to Lose, uh, they recorded it as a three-piece. Dave bought a house in Virginia. It was called Studio 606. And then I did some research into why. And in a 2020 Instagram post, Dave explained that spending the evening with his father in 1985, he received a particularly hearing what do you want to do with your life lecture and it defined the bittersweet moment that finally communicated to his father the depth of his commitment to becoming a professional musician Hmm. and uh, as he snuck out he looked back and his father's apartment number was 606 oh nice I didn't know that right I was like wow look at that yeah. Damn, daddy issues are deep. Daddy issues are real for everybody, apparently. Yeah, I mean, talk to my therapist about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he was also quoted as saying, um, the mood during production, quote, we just wrote off and played, like, all bets were off. Um, no one was forcing us to be there, so it had to be fun, and all the songs had to be the best that we could possibly play at that time. So, the three pieces recording. But to tour this album... Taylor wanted to keep it as a three-piece, but Dave really wanted another guitarist. They held auditions, and a guitarist, Chris Shefflett, came in, and they actually had met before. They did not realize that Chris had played in a band called Rat Pack and had opened for Scream way back in the day. So Dave kind of knew him. The music industry is really small. So small, especially at that time, I'm sure. Um, And so then they start touring. At this point, they are playing arenas. They were touring with Red Hot Chili Peppers, so like big crowds, big venues, and this was the point at which they started focusing on their stage show. So they were having a little bit more uh, coordination in like the outfits and the set lists. And like they were semi pro, I guess you could say at this point. I also read that a reason that they recorded it in Virginia is because Dave was ha- has like a love hate thing with L.A. Uh, yeah. And he was in in hate mode at the time and didn't really want to do anything creative in, in the city. So he had to like get out and decided to do it in Virginia. Right. Yeah, right. I, I think they're also between labels. I think they were on Capitol originally, and they, were, I think, yes, so they didn't have they a label, were, so yes. they were able to go and do, and what, do they what they wanted. wanted to do, yeah, which yeah. is which is interesting, you know, and you can kind of yeah. hear it, some of the experimentation, I think, on the album. Definitely. All right, so let's get into it. This album uh, is called There Is Nothing Left to Lose. It was released on November 2nd, 1999 on Roswell Records, distributed through RCA Records. The first, as Sean mentioned, the first two were with Capital. This is their first one with a new label. And this is the first appearance of Taylor Hawkins on a recording. Oh, right, right. The album is widely considered, uh, and we'll get into it, but totally a departure of their previous work. It's also considered soft and experimental. Dave Grohl has stated that this album was totally based on melody and that it might be his favorite album they've ever done. There Is Nothing Left to Lose won the Grammy Award for Best Rock Album in 2001, marking the band's first ever Grammy. Okay. All right, let's do it. Track one, Stacked Actors, produced by Foo Fighters and Adam Casper and written by Taylor Hawkins, Nate Mendel, and Dave Grohl. Okay, so my notes are that this was listed as the second single, January 17, 2000, but then in parentheses it says AUS. Uh, It was the first single in Australia, second single in the U.S. Got it. All right, so my notes are great opener. This song is awesome. This song's great. I think the trippy 60s grooviness in the verses juxtaposed with the rock intro chorus is like further proof of how Dave and the band in general can just fit these two completely unrelated sounds together. We talked about that a lot Mm. on the last album. Just really genius work. The bass... Always surprising me. I think what I'm going to learn from this is, like, I'm a big fan of Nate Mandel. Like, I, it's just yeah. increasing every album. I'm like, wow, he really is fantastic. Yeah. And then to your note, Gabby, he wrote this shortly after he moved to L.A. And a quote I found was, 
I wrote Stacked Actors about everything that is fake and everything that is plastic and glamorous and unreal. So if that pertains to anyone that comes to mind, then there you go. It's about having (laughs) nothing better to do than trying to be other people. It really grossed me out. Actors, just in general, make me fucking sick. Yeah. So everyone thinks this is about Courtney Love. Right. Obviously. She said herself. She said herself that it's about her on Howard Stern. But I think that's incredibly presumptuous because Dave has said when songs are about her. So like, bitch, don't assume. That's a personal problem. You feel triggered by the song. So it must be about you. Well, she she was also going through. Wasn't she also doing like the acting thing? She was in like People vs. Larry Flint around this time or maybe it was earlier. So like, I feel like maybe maybe she assumed it was about her. The other thing I found, which is interesting, he was writing, I guess Ozzy Osbourne had an album and he wanted different guitar riffs. Oh. And he asked Dave Grohl to write some guitar riffs. Oh, and wow. this was supposed cool. to be for that, but he liked it so much, he decided to keep it. <laughs> so he's like, <laughs> just kidding, Ozzy, I'm taking this. It's in a weird drop A tuning. So if you know guitar, it's usually E. Yeah. Sometimes you mm. drop it down to D, which some of these songs are, but A is like super low. So that's why you hear that very low, like opening riff it's awesome riff uh, which is kind of cool but you can kind of hear like an Ozzy thing to it but he liked it so much he was like nope I'm keeping it knowing that I hear I could hear like why he went that way if he thought it was going to be for Ozzy and I also totally get why he was like hell no I'm keeping this (laughs) and that's like kind of how do you how do you give and take back from Ozzy Osbourne? (laughs) (laughs) so you don't technically give it like you could he so Dave if you're if you write the you can decide if you will yeah give it to them right even if they super like it like you can take it back and sometimes they'll pay extra if they really want it they'll pay you for it which usually songwriters don't get paid up front they just collect royalties interesting so they like if someone really likes it and they'll 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 drop some money for it wow to get it for you didn't it? Fun fact. That's cool. Well, how do you like it overall, Sean? Are, are you into this one? I, I'm into this one, yeah. There's some that I'm like, oh, I could take it or leave it on this album, even though it my is my favorite album. But yeah, I think it's a great opener. I mean, it just like... Totally. Right. It's like balls to the wall right at the beginning. It's like, And it kind of like is a nice opener coming from the color and the shape, I think. Like, you're kind of expecting something similar and it kind of mm-hmm. gives you that for a little bit in the album, I think. And then it's yeah. like takes a little bit of a detour which which i think yeah, is it, for sure. the, the pacing of the whole album i think is really good i agree with that i think um it's a great opener the opening riff like i i can hear like see that song hear that song on like a off-roading suv commercial yeah 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 <laughs> that's like yeah. perfect for that but i but i didn't really expect it to go where it went after the riff because then it gets really soft mm-hmm. and it gets really melodic and i just i love that they do that that there's like juxtaposition <sighs> so in good. a lot of their songs like re- kind of he's like whispering and then the chorus is really explosive instrumentally which is cool yeah yeah and vocally I, he's still in my head. I picture Animal on drums yeah. and singing. Like, I don't know what it is about Dave Grohl. Like, he just gives me <laughs> Just like a crazy guy, yeah. Well, the, the interesting <laughs> yeah. thing, too, is, like, on this album, I don't. I think Taylor Hawkins played, like, half of it, they said, in, in interviews. He got Red Light oh, Fever, which is basically, like, as soon as you hit record, he kind of freaks out or freezes and starts messing up more so than he would if he was normally yeah. playing it. Oh, wow. So... In interviews, so some of these songs Dave Grohl does play. So it's funny that you mentioned like Animal like playing both both instruments, but so but we don't know which ones. There's one that we do, which we'll get to. Oh, but interesting. We, it's been it's debated on Reddit. You could see all these f- people like, oh, this sounds like Taylor Hawkins' snare drummer. This sounds like his kind of style of playing. This sounds like Dave's playing. But nobody's ever said which song is which. That's so funny because all the credits say that it's Taylor on drums. Yeah, but that's well, what I was gonna say is I wonder if Dave kind of learned his lesson from the previous album and was like we're gonna give him all the credit whether i jump in or not because of everything that happened with the previous drummer you know what i mean like it's such awkward yeah yeah maybe maybe and there's also just the like like he said multiple times like taylor became his soulmate and his best friend like yeah it's his best friend so he was like it's cool dude exactly you're nervous it's okay yeah and that's what that's what taylor said in a 2021 interview he even said the same thing like he's like dave wanted me to play on he's like he knew the history he knew what was going on he has his Mm. producer adam casper sitting there they're you know recording on tape so it's costing money yeah and you know and dave just kind of walked him through it and he said like like a big brother he was like helping him like play to a click track which he never did he never was in the studio before so Mm. this was a first you know to play to a click to to do it right so it was interesting to read that and he stuck with it i mean i think also it was said and taylor said it that he's 
battling some demons, so he had some drug stuff going on at the time. So mm. I think that that also contributed to it, which is unfortunate because he's a great drummer and and he plays on the rest all the other albums. I think he's on everything anyway. But right, but this one in particular, I thought that was interesting that he didn't play on everything. So there are ones that might sound more Dave Grohl-y, <laughs> you know, more Nirvana like. Interesting. Which this one now might I be it. I don't back. know. I want to go back and see if I can tell that they're just because he is dave is a very distinct drumming style like he's a heavy hitter yeah and i think that's what they said it's like he's on the heavier songs and then Mm. taylor taylor's on more of the lighter ones so which is interesting but i don't know you can't tell they're both fantastic drummers so it's like i mean sure yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) it's hard to tell interesting yeah all right let's let's keep it moving track two uh breakout produced by the foo fighters and adam casper and written by taylor hawkins nate mendel and dave Grohl. Okay, Breakout was the fourth single, September 18th, 2000. I really love this song. I think it's just super, it's just a super fun rock song. Like if I had to pick like a generic cool rock song, this would be on the list. I really like the flanger effect that they've got going on. It kind of gives it like a spacey feel. It feels lyrically to me before I took a deep dive it felt like it was about being with someone who makes you just feel kind of crazy uh maybe insecure maybe like excited crazy like break out of your shell but then i read up on what the lyrics mean and i don't know if i like it less but like it makes me i don't know it just seems like silly so davis quoted as saying breakout started off almost as a joke just to play on the word and taking the piss out of your typical tortured romance love story it's supposed to seem kind of ridiculous because I can't imagine anyone wanting to break off a relationship just because they have acne. So it's literally breakout. Like you make me break out like my skin on my face. Stress me out. You stress me out. And imagine the, uh, what a horrible person you have to be if you <laughs> stress me out so much that um, I have a zit. You, you cause this. <laughs> like how terrible. And then the only other fun fact I have is uh, while they recorded this song, the band had to tell Dave to cool it because the neighbors were giving dirty looks and threatening to complain about the noise. I imagine it's at the end where he's screaming. Where he's screaming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The neighbors in Virginia are like, what? the tarnation is happening out there so first of all virginians aren't that southern it depends on where you go depends on that's where you true go. We, but they were in arlington they were like dc so area like, arlington yeah, yeah. not yeah. it um, so maybe they were more i concerned. really i forgot about this song i i know this song really well yeah and i just didn't realize that i'm not sure if i didn't even realize it was a foo fighter song oh, wow. but when it came on i was like oh shit i haven't heard this song in years yeah i really love this one i love the screaming vocals i love the momentum it's such a good jam yeah it's a great song yeah i, I agree with on the on the lyrics i didn't realize that until i was researching it like just now like yeah. i was like what oh i, was like, I, I didn't don't i don't know if i like that i was like oh i kind of liked my can interpretation you have a better. cool song about acne i mean i guess you can i guess <laughs> i wonder if this song like they should have pitched that for like noxzema commercials yeah. or something <laughs> right? right especially in the 90s yeah. <laughs> yeah when that was like the thing yeah the, the pads water yeah yeah, yeah. oxy clean or whatever it was called oxy pads. <laughs> i don't think you put oxy clean on your face yeah no, oxy clean is the laundry clothes. stuff but it's oxy right yeah, that's what yeah. it's called Right. <laughs> That's funny. Um, another fun fact I found is that this song was on the soundtrack to Me, Myself, and Irene. Oh, yeah. you know, I think I did read that somewhere. Sean, any other thoughts on this one? It's just over the top and ridiculous. Like, I, just, I, love, I love it. it. I, love the, I love the use of effects on this whole album. As a guitarist, I was always like... Because they always had just a very distinct, just distortion, clean kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And this one, I felt like he was experimenting more. So, like, the flanger effect's really nice. There's a couple other things that we'll get into, but, like... Yeah, I think it's a really, and they always play, when they play this live, like if you've ever seen them live, like this one just hits you in the gut every time. Mm-hmm. Like everyone just kind of, that first chorus, as soon as they hit it, which is really quick too, if you think about it, that yeah. verse is like not very long. They get to the chorus like that and it's, right. um, you know, everyone's like jumping and going off the walls. Like it's, it's great. So, you know, I think on the last album, they were consciously writing songs for to play live you know so mm. there were certain ones where they wanted a tempo that would go like this so people would jump and and i think he was kind of harnessing a little bit of that on like songs like this where it's like oh we know as soon as we hit that chorus everyone's gonna go nuts and i right. think they were really trying to push it especially with some of the experimental stuff that they have later in the album so it kind of is a good balance i think but yeah i, I love this song that's a really good point though because towards the second half of this album i'm kind of like oh this feels like a sleeper to me so i guess thinking about when we play this live we're going to need people to react he's really good at that like thinking the long term you know what i mean that's a really good point 
All right, track three, Learn to Fly, produced by the Foo Fighters and Adam Casper and written by Taylor Hawkins, Nate Mendel, and Dave Grohl. Learn to Fly was the first single, September 18th, 1999. I think a famous video. A famous video. Yes, I have some notes on that. I think this is a super bold choice for a first single. I feel like it's kind of risky. I would not have chosen this as the first single, personally. No, I wouldn't have either. I think it was strange as well, but I... The label definitely pushed. I get why. I, I get why, but I also just feel like it's super unnatural. If that makes sense, I think it's placed great in the track listing. Like right now is when I want to hear this song, so that's good. I love the drum pattern in the verses where it ends on the tambourine hit. I just think it's really interesting to change it up that way, which makes me wonder if maybe this was a Taylor song. Like to me, this doesn't feel like a Dave song on the drums. This is a Dave song. This is the is one that we know. Song? It is a Dave song. <gasps> wow. He says in there's a um, there's a little mini documentary because I'm a nerd and I love those like behind the scenes studio stuff. Uh huh. And he's talking like he's making I guess uh, he's talking to the camera. Adam Casper's holding it and he's talking about uh, the drums and raising the bass at a certain point. Uh-huh. And he says, "When I'm washing on the on the ride, right." And, so, so he's saying, doing I'm, it. So he's saying I'm doing it, and not you know not thinking this is gonna be a documentary that's out in the world, and we're gonna try and hide that I didn't play on everything. Sure. So he says it. So this one is a Dave song, which is interesting. Wow, super yeah. surprising to me. So th- this is the only one that I think anyone is like confirmed because he says it in a video, you know. So, but wow, um, <laughs> yeah, kind of interesting. So interesting. Okay. Do we know in what order? Like, was this song recorded first? Was this song recorded last? Is there any info on that? The one that they recorded last is later in the album. Yes. Like they, okay. yeah. Yes. Yes. I know but, which one um, that one is. But yeah, first, but no, I don't, I don't know where they they record where when they recorded. But I agree. I thought it, I didn't realize this was a single. I'll be honest. I fell off. A little bit of the Foo Fighters train, um, start of college ish, dating a girl that like fish. I don't know. I don't know what it's doing. I don't know. It's like fish and grapefruit. <laughs> well, it happened. Right? I don't know. Yeah. It was bad. Bad things. choices were made. Okay. It's I got back it's into fun. this album later, so I wasn't really keeping track of the singles. But that's interesting that this was the first single. I mean, I remember yeah. hearing these songs, but I didn't know that yeah, this was the yeah. first one. I agree. I think it's a bold choice to do that, um, especially coming off of. You know everything. The in last the colors two the song, two albums. Yeah, yeah. such it's uh, yeah, it's such a departure. I think like clearly a sonic departure. Like it's different totally. from any other thing. But to like come out the gate. With this but one. to your point, Gab, you mentioned the video. I think maybe that's why. Because the, yeah, the video is awesome. It's hilarious. Oh, it's the one fantastic. where they're in the airplane. D. Tenacious D is in it. Like, it's. I went back and I rewatched it and I was belly it's such laughing. A good video. It's so good. It's so good. Definitely some things that probably would not be approved today in there. No. Some, some not totally PC scenes. Absolutely. But this was at a time where, like, MTV is showing these things. And he has said before the videos were just fun for them. Like, all of their videos are almost ridiculous and crazy. So I'm wondering if maybe that's why it was a first single, because they wanted to get the visual out there also. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know sometimes, like, artists will maybe not know if a song should be a single, but they have an idea for the music video already. Mm. Right. So sometimes it gets pushed because of that. Yeah. But I don't know. Um, I'm I'm wondering if... Because it's this song is like all melody. There's, yeah. It's not like a guitar riffy song. No, not it's at not all. Not like a heavy rock song at all. So I, I'm just. I, I usually they mesh both in a way. So I right. don't know if like they decided intentionally to like make something poppier to make yeah. something more mainstream with the intent of it being a first single. Which is why I asked if we knew if it was recorded last. Because then in that. In that case, that's usually what happens. Well, what I will say is I found a quote from Song Facts where Dave says that the song is about the search for some sort of inspiration, the search for signs of life that will make you feel alive. It's actually one of my least favorite songs on the record. Which is even crazier that then it became a first single if he didn't really like it. So that's why I think someone else is telling him, make this the first. Yeah, some like the label advised it, or again, it was like they really had a video idea. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, it is also my least favorite on the album. I'll be honest. Maybe it's oh, just because it I've really? heard it. Yeah, maybe it's because I've heard it at you know the ad nauseum five other uh, yeah, concerts. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it all the time. Like they play it every show, basically. Like if you look at do like, they set really? List, wow. They play it every time. 
And he doesn't even like it that much. He doesn't like it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it's just because I've, I've listened to it so much, but the video is great. I mean... It's good. The video kind of plays off of, like, the Big Me video where it's kind of... They're kind of goofy. And it's like, yes. oh, they're real people. They're not trying to be, like, Creed on a mountain kind of... <laughs> like, we're very serious Remember about our music. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. That guy... <laughs> that just made me laugh. I forgot about that. That yeah. was funny. <laughs> but, like, that's the time that they were in, you know? It was very yeah. boy bands and, you know, right. new metal was up and coming and it all was, that kind of stuff. This and was 99. This was, like, I want it that way. Yeah, was out on yeah. the, like Blink One Eighty Two was was also goofy, off. also goofy videos, also goofy, yeah. right? Very goofy, which okay. I thought was a nice juxtaposition to the like how serious they probably were on the last album. I felt so I thought it was kind of cool yeah. to see that side of them in the video. Yeah, the video I like yeah. more than the song personally, but I, think, I agree. I, think most... I, I don't really like this song. It's all right. It's I've good. never really it's liked a, this song. to me. It's like a background, like feel good road trip song. Like you know, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. Totally. I, but I could have gone my whole life without listening to it and not have lost out on absolutely anything. I agree. I agree. All right. Track four. Uh, Gimme Stitches, produced by the Foo Fighters and Adam Casper and written by Taylor Hawkins, Nate Mendel, and Dave Grohl. This one, to me, as soon as it starts, I think of just classic rock. It's got a very classic rock vibe, but then, like, the Foo puts their touch on it. I think each individual section, like verse, chorus, and bridge, are really good, and they're all really different. And again, he finds this way to sew everything together, which is always amazing to me. The lyrics that I pulled that I liked a lot were the chorus, dress me up in stitches, it's now or never, tired of wearing black and blue, dress me up in stitches, it's now or never, dying to get my blood on you. I I don't know why, but that phrase is just, like... I don't even know what it really means, but I was like, this is like really good writing. And then from the Foo archive, Dave is quoted as saying that it's sort of a song about a relationship that's dysfunctional and two people who can't get enough of hurting each other and making each other crazy. Which yeah, makes, makes sense. sense. Totally. Some of his lyrics totally. don't make sense at all to me, but this one I was like, got it. Got it. He's getting better at making sense as a writer. At this point, yeah. In this album, yeah, yeah I yeah. think. I thought the opening riff was cool and catchy. I was immediately in. It's jammier than I thought it would be. Like, it's way more melodic than I mm. thought it would Maybe be. Maybe that's where the classic rock thing is happening to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jammy. Yeah. And I, even though, like, I think the momentum in this song is flat, like, it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. I, I think the melodies carry the whole thing, and it's great. Mm. Yeah. I, I think the guitar playing is really, really good. It's, it's just a good song, I feel like. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's it's a perfect spot for it, too, after Learn to Fly, I think. Like, it's... Yeah. It brings the, the energy back up a little bit. I like the use of the effects. Like, after the main riff comes in, there's, like, another guitar that is kind of coming in, like, a little more chimey and has, like, some, some stuff going on, um, which is cool. And that's the other thing I like about this album. As someone who's been, like Kate knows, we've been recording our own album together yep. um, here in my <laughs> studio. Um, I really like learning about how people record it and why. And this, this album in particular, you can hear the distinct parts like you'll hear one guitar in the left channel one guitar in the right channel mm. and on this one in particular you hear the opening riff and then you hear the kind of uh, chimey riff yeah. and I think it's really cool how they did that throughout the album just keeping things like hard panned and you can like put on one headphone and listen to one guitar part listen to the other with the other headphone it's really really nice to be able to see how he did that and I think this is a good example of that yeah for sure I agree I think it's great and I wonder if I just say this goes back to what I was saying about him on album one, like how he's literally a creative genius, whether you like what he's putting out or not. The idea that you could say, we're going to record this whole album ourselves. I would instantly go back to basics. Like, what do I know about recording? Let me just record so it sounds good. But now he's like panning left, panning right, this effect, this effect. And to me, that's just like, there's so many options. I would be overwhelmed, but he must have had a really good time doing it. Uh, it, Yeah, they've turned into very good producers. And that's part of being like super involved in the recording process. Like you learn how to do this shit. Right, right. I think Adam Casper's great. I mean, he's done, he's done a lot of records and, and, you know, co-produced stuff or was, you know, an engineer on stuff early on. Mm. And he did, I think he was responsible for showing Dave like this is this is what I do and he liked it. I read an interview that he liked the the hard panning of the guitars. Oh cool. Which is really cool. And it, I read also that he was recording them all with like minimal equipment. It was like a couple guitars, his main guitar, the Trini Lopez, uh, a Vox AC30 mm. and a Twin Reverb and a Telecaster and a couple other guitars I'm sure. He has, he had some other Gibsons, but like those are the main things and he would, you know, use those to write the right one guitar part would be on a Telecaster and a Twin Reverb, which has a different sound than the Vox. So he was using all the tools that he could. And I read also that they were using 
you know, basic mics, like a Shure SM57, which is like a yeah. $90 bike. Yeah. And, wow. you know, not the... They could afford $2,000 mics, you know? They could afford sure. ridiculous equipment, but they used some basic stuff, and they weren't so concerned with where the mics were placed. They might place it one day, and then someone might knock it around, or someone might have, like, hit the knobs on the on the amp. It's not in the exact same spot every time. They weren't so precious, like they were on the first... On the second record, where they're right. trying to get everything, like, totally precise. Perfect, So yeah. this is a little sloppier, which I kind of... I kind of like it. Feels a little more human to me. I love mm. the, I love the color and the shape too. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. there is a little bit of everything's like so spot on. It's almost like nauseating. It's like no one can play like yeah. that. Like this I hear one, what you're saying. it's a little sloppy. You'll feel sometimes the guitar in the right channel is a little sloppier than the one in the left, and it, yeah. it just gives a different vibe. But I think this is a great song that you can kind of hear some of that. I, I'm gonna have to go back now. I gotta go back and re-listen. And yeah, do, listen like, to the, the headphones. Thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't usually yeah, do that. Me neither. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, who really does? Who really does that? Giant nerds like me. Yeah. Sean. <laughs> exactly. Sean does that. All right, cool. Uh, five track five generator produced by the Foo Fighters and Adam Casper, written by Taylor Hawkins, Nate Mendel, and Dave Grohl. All of the songs have the same credits, so I'm just going to stop saying. Okay, that cool. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. Which is amazing uh, that he did that too. I mean, all of them we know Dave Grohl wrote most of them, right? But he's yeah. sharing all the credit with everyone. I think he learned from Nirvana where there was a big, you know. Uh, distinction of Kurt wanted more cut of the royalties and stuff. Yeah. This is shared, which that's how you keep a band happy is by splitting it evenly and together. Yep, you two, REM. Yeah, usually the main songwriter ar- argues back and shit gets hairy, and those are the bands that usually don't last as they have money issues. And I mean, we're not making pennies or barely but we share yeah. all the writing credit too and you know we know yeah. kate does most of the yeah. work so but, that way you know, when we do make it big we don't have yeah. to take anyone to court you know what i mean exactly <laughs> and kate's gonna be great. really mad at all Wish, of us wishful because of decisions that were made yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway back to generator <laughs> so generator was the third single march 6th 2000 this song is fantastic this would have been the first single for me if i had to choose this would have been the first single i think the tension in having the double verse before the explosion of the first chorus is so great because you're you're anticipating it you want it then they make you wait for it uh the chorus is so satisfying when you get there and when i hear it i hear that it's broken into two halves there's like a slow build on the first half and then a very rapid build on the second and it kind of makes me feel like you're like you're pulling a slingshot and it's getting tighter and tighter and then boom you let it go and you're into the chorus like i visualize that every time i listen to this song i love that it's bookended with the instrumental section i think that's really nice and to me from what i've read i feel like it's kind of a song about someone who's there for you whether it's romantically platonically they're just there for you as the backup like they're the generator and when shit gets crazy like you can rely on them to step in um a quote from foo archive dave is quoted as saying this song is everything i like about our band it kind of has that melancholy pop punk buzzcocks kind of thing to it but it also has some weird classic rock in it too personally i don't hear the classic rock but i do get what he's saying about like that melancholy a lot a lot of these songs especially on this album there's like a little bit of a sadness to them there is yeah yeah i yeah. agree with that but i just really I like, like that is it what is that sound in the beginning is that a vocoder like making that effect it's a talk box a talk a box. talk box it's what is that it's like this effect where i'm probably gonna mess it up but basically you have a tube that goes into your mouth and it goes through a pedal and you can enunciate those notes with your mouth a little bit it's almost like a wah like but you're, I, you're yeah, controlling yeah. it with I've your mouth it, it looks it, ridiculous yeah. and i think maybe that's where the classic rock part comes oh, in maybe you're right peter frampton is i mean if you look up you know show me the way he's famous for using the talk box so maybe that's where he's saying like the classic maybe. rock vibe but which i think is just it's kind of like a very gimmicky kind of thing because it takes i mean one of my guitarists and one of the bands i play with had one it took forever to set up and then you have to get it right it, it's a lot of work and for one song i'm like wow kudos to you to do that and dave girl's doing it dave I, Grohl's the I one wonder if it. they do that do they still do that part live or is it pre-recorded on like a track? no they do it live he does it live he'll have like a mic set up with the with the tube and then like he has gotta like put the tube in his mouth and he like does the thing and then that's pretty cool. The, it is cool. That's really cool. It's a lot of work, but yeah, it's a it's a talk box. It's called. Yeah, it's wow. interesting. I, yeah, the I, more I, you know. The, <laughs> you're you're welcome. Sorry, <laughs> I don't know. Um, That's cool. No, it's great. It's uh, it's an interesting effect, but yeah, I, I I agree. I think this would be a great first single. I was like, like this one just like kind of sets it off. I think, and it's interesting use of effects and, like you said, good tension build up. 
Yeah, I like this one a lot. What do you think, Gab? Uh, I like the. I really like the synth sounds, um, but I I'm not a fan of this song. This no. is my least favorite song. Oh my oh. god! I feel like it, the opening is really promising, but it doesn't really go anywhere. I don't think the melodies carry it through, and I was like, wow. Meh. <laughs> oh Sorry, my god! Guys. I'm shocked by that. Yeah, the drama. Not into okay, it. okay. <laughs> the betrayal. My goodness. <laughs> All right, track six. Same credits. Aurora. I don't like this one. What? I don't like this one. I cannot stand this song. I I do think his voice sounds fantastic on it. He just sings beautifully. I find the chorus to be kind of annoying. Kind of annoying. I think it's way too long. It's almost six minutes long. I do like the instrumental ending. Um, And then quotes from Dave from Foo Archive. Aurora is definitely one of my favorite songs that we've ever come up with. Lyrically, it's just kind of a big question mark. But the words sound good. And it's a nostalgic look back at the Seattle life I once had. That song actually questions the meaning of life, probably. It's probably the heaviest thing I've ever written. I don't hear... Sorry, Dave. Disagree. I I hear it. Maybe it's because I live here now, oh, but... Maybe. It's gray here all the time. <laughs> Sounds right. Uh, I hear what the experimentalness that we talked about. Yeah. That is so... Like, everything that's written about this album is that it was experimental. So I hear that in this song. Mm-hmm. I think sonically it probably is the most... And the guitar sounds kind of like ambient guitar yeah. and that it just kind of keeps going throughout the whole song is an interesting choice. Uh, it is too long. Mm. We could have shaved a minute off of this and not lost any of the intent of the song. And I think it would have been a better song. At first listen, I did not like it at all. Yeah. And then I went back and I listened to it again and I was like, okay, this, I get it. It's not terrible. Uh, it's, it's, Correctly placed in the track listing. I will in say the that. middle for a reason, right? That's what you say. In the middle, in for, the a middle reason. for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, what do you think? It's one of my favorite songs. Oh no! One of my top ten favorite songs. I top love this 10? song. Ten. Yeah. Good Lord. Okay. I love Whoa. this one. I love the. Okay. I love the delay interplay. I love the how they how it kind of riffs on. It's not. I mean, it's not a single. Like it's definitely right, not right, a single. Right, right. It's kind of like more of a deeper track. They played it. Um, I, I've seen them a bunch. Um, never played it. The one time they did play it, I went to a concert in Camden with my friends, and one of my friends started having an asthma attack in the middle of this song. And I was like, really? I, you were like, I mean, she was together. fine. She was fine. It was my, my best friend's wife, and we had to bring Hear her to like... Hear a bitch. Let's go. I know. Well, some guy was smoking cigars, but anyway. So, oh, God. So I missed it the one time I could have seen oh, it. Anyway, no. I don't know. I love this song. I think it's such a great riff. I think that the end where you can hear all the delay going on, mm. like that's, in my def- in my mind, that is like what delay sounds like. This song like kind of defines it for me. So I'm always like trying to find that sound. Right. He used a memory man. Interestingly enough, when they auditioned guitarists, I guess they, for the tour, like you were mentioning, yeah. Chris Schiffler came came out on top, but they I read that he was one of the only guitarists that they tried this song, and he was one of the only ones that tried to play, because mul- there's multiple guitars going on at that end part. Like, if you listen, there's like four or five guitars, all with delay, so it's really hard to pick out what who's playing what. Sure. And he was the only guitarist that tried to do that, like tried to play into it, and it sounded great. So, oh, wow. Which is something that was interesting. I might have made or braid broke his audition which is kind of interesting but attention to detail i love this song i don't know i don't know it does kind of meander a little bit it's kind of more ambient which i kind of like um okay i don't know that's just yeah i've always loved that one it's a crowd pleaser too a lot of people like it it, like because they don't play it so much so i think i I read that that this is a lot of people's favorite food fighter song what is wrong with me okay I mean, nothing and everything all at once, Kate. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe I'll go to the bathroom when they play that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, track seven, Live in Skin. Same credits. Okay, Live in Skin. This song feels heavier to me than all the other songs on this album, like content-wise, music-wise, which I like. I'm into that. Especially after Aurora, I feel like, personally, I kind of needed something different. I like that the verses are stronger, 
I, but I, well, I feel that the verses are stronger and more melodic than the chorus, which is kind of weird because I feel like he usually is great with the choruses, but on this one, I think the verses are actually better. And um, this was the one that I believe was the last song. Correct. Because uh, he's quoted as saying, we were already finished recording, had a couple of days off for mixing, and I just came up with this riff and I thought, fuck it, let's record this. I guess that's just an example of my love for this riff. But to me, it sounds like it. It sounds like an afterthought. It doesn't really sound like it belongs with this group of songs because it's so heavy but um but i do like it yeah yeah i think it does kind of sound like it could go on the next record almost like you could kind of hear some of that in in the but yeah i I agree i i I was interested to learn that too that they recorded this last and didn't place it last i mean it it, now knowing that it does sound like an afterthought it's not it didn't do any like the guitar riffs were cool but it didn't really do anything for me right I just wonder why you wouldn't put it last because because to Sean's point, it sounds like you're transitioning into the next sound that you're going to take on. And I just feel like maybe it would have been better at the end. I don't know. Yeah, I, I like this one a lot because of uh, maybe it's just the, the, the tones of the of the guitar. But you can hear and Dave mentions this in one of the interviews I was reading about when you if you listen to that first riff you'll hear at the tail end of that first opening chord there's a little rattle going on Mm -hmm. and it's actually a tube in the vox that was supposed to be changed it's not supposed to do that but they liked it so much they just left it they never bothered to fix it (laughs) and you can hear that it's like a little quirk that you could kind of hear the little imperfections and i think that's kind of cool that you can hear some of those in the in, in throughout the album but yeah it's i like this i like this song it's it's okay um I don't know. It's no Aurora for me. <laughs> no, it's cool. No, it's a cool. Uh, it's a cool riff though. I, I liked how they came up with it, and you have the two guitars kind of doing different things. Yeah, which is which is nice. Um, yeah, I like this one too. I think it's perfectly placed too. Like you said, it just kind of lifts everything up. Yeah. All right. Track eight. Next year, same credits. This was the fifth single, December fourth, two thousand. I love this song. I don't know if they meant for this to happen, but I actually think the release date for this is perfect because I feel like December is a super introspective month for most people, right? You're thinking about end of the year, you're thinking about New Year's resolutions, and it's talking about next year, so I don't know if that was a creative decision, I don't know if that's just meta, like by chance. I think... It's a fantastic melody right out of the gate. It is super mm-hmm. catchy and friendly across all genres. To me, it instantly feels like a classic song. Like, this just feels so good. The bass lines are insane on this song. If you really listen to it, that man never stops moving. It's the most complicated bass line I think I've heard from him so far, and I just had never noticed that. And a quote, which again, he's like throwing me for a loop here from Foo Archive. He says, next year is a piece of shit. That song is so stupid. It's weird. What? I was like, what in the hell? <laughs> I love this song. I love this song. It's so good. The melodies are so good. And I th- by the time I got to this song, I had a moment of pause. And I was like, kind of blown away by how different this whole album is. Yes. To what they had been doing before. Um, I also love the false stop at the end oh. where you think it's over, yeah. but it's not. I get so it's happy really, when they come back. I'm like, oh man. It, it was a really good production choice. Oh I yeah. I, I really dig it. Yeah, I like it too. I like it too. I like the drums on it a lot. Like that that little breakdown where he does like the little bell, like he hits like yes. the bell on the on the ride symbol. It's kind of quirky, but I like it. It works. Like it's like not not something I probably would have thought of. Like I was like, oh, that's an interesting choice on drums. But right, right. I love that that kind of it it's almost melodic in its own right you know you're mm-hmm. expecting that so i like i like that and um yeah the end the little end tag thing is great i mean it's so good i could listen to this song for 20 hours straight like this to me could be a 10 hour song i would never stop listening to it yeah i didn't realize when it came out and that's totally perfectly placed i mean that was for me it was you know end of freshman year college you know so it was very it was very like oh, so many feels yeah <laughs> Uh, All right, track nine, Headwires, same credit. Headwires, the first word that I wrote down was chill. Overall, to me, this song is just kind of meh. Really? Yeah, I didn't really love it. Um, The lyric that I pulled out that I thought was interesting is, there's a reason why, keeping me alive, there's a cure in me that I wish were mine. As long as I can fight, I'll survive. So I guess if you're emotionally tied to the song, it's like about overcoming, which I guess is good. I just just couldn't connect, but I did 
I ended up on Reddit, which is just scary to me. I don't really understand how Reddit works. But I did find some commenter who said, the song is kind of like telling a story. Headwires is a play on the term wirehead, which refers to a sci-fi novel where people have machines put in their head to make them happy constantly. Basically, a song is about how someone you love totally gives into drugs or money or anything that only offers pleasure while totally stripping that person of their humanity. And so after I read that and I re-listened to it, I was like, okay, because I'm a sci-fi person. Like, I'm into that. This read it very much Black Mirror to me. And I was like, into it. Let me let me hear more. But I just think the song is all right. I didn't love it. Am I alone? I'm bummed to hear that. Sorry. I feel like I thought the lyrics were very intriguing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't try to read any interpretations of it or what other people think. I, I feel like this song is about going to therapy. Oh, that's the connection I made. Okay. So, I don't know. But I really liked That's it. That's interesting. Yeah. No, I, I like this one too. I like the, the dynamics. I mean, it's the, you know, loud, quiet thing that, mm-hmm. you know, Nirvana did, who ultimately stole it from, you know, the Pixies and whatnot. But right. I think it has that kind of thing going on. I like the, I, I mean, I love the guitar tones. I, oh, the whole back half of this album, while it's more mellow, I really enjoy it overall, just as a, um, you know, as like a side two kind of thing. Mm. I like the how the guitars kind of work with each other. I also like that line at the end where he says, Sun is on Arlandria, which Arlandria is part yeah. of Virginia. So it's kind of gives a nod to where they recorded it. And then oh, later on, he has a song, you know, uh, called Arlandria on, on later recordings. So referencing it again. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. But I think I thought that was kind of like a nice little nod. I don't know. It's 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 mellow, but I, I do I do like it. I mean, I think it starts kind of, you know, it, it, it's the way it starts and ends is, is really great. And it kind of leads into the mm. next song nicely, I think, too. I, I will agree with that. Yes, it definitely does. Speaking of the next song, track 10. All right. So ain't it the life um, musically? This gave me Beatles. I, I wrote that. I ah. wrote this is song is across the universe. The, the opening guitar melody is it sounds like so much like across the universe. Yeah. OK. To- all right. Good, good, good. Because I, I was like, maybe I'm off, but I, I was feeling that vibe. I think it's kind of a sleepy, but a pretty song. Um, I wrote down it's cute. Uh, it definitely shows his versatility as a songwriter. And I have a quote from him from a 1999 interview. Ain't It The Life, I think, is the one song that I would love to play on my porch. And after I read that, I was like, oh, I can see you doing this. I, I, yeah. can, I can definitely see it. Um, it's good. Not a favorite. I kind of feel like the whole back end of this album to me is like, it's good. But <laughs> the back end is like a slow outro, which is yeah. not their normal. Right. I wasn't There's expecting like a, all a this. mellow middle usually. Yeah. Mellow for them. I mean, it's not even really mellow right. usually, but Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. It reminded me of I it reminds me of Across the Universe and my second pillow point says, I am also bored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also bored. Nice. <laughs> That's all I got. Uh, I think in that mini documentary, Taylor Hawkins says that this is his favorite song. He just, really? Yeah. I'm like so off base. Okay. <laughs> he, he says this is his favorite song to play. Um, and Dave Grohl mentions that it's like an example of the band moving into the next phase of life. Like just kind of slowing down a little bit. Which is interesting. So that does. I mean, that kinda, makes kind of more mellow that. song. I I really dig the. I mean, the guitar tones on this one. It's it's great. And he mentions that it's his main guitar, the Trini Lopez, into a Vox. And the interesting with the Vox is that they were really using it to distort. They weren't using a lot of distortion pedals. So mm. that grittiness is actually the Vox's tubes like heating up and making that sound, as opposed That's to cool. using distortion to try and mimic that. So um, I think it's a really great. Uh, great tone that he has going on here too, and it kind of fits the song really nicely. I have for my. I'm going to save what I'm going to say for my closing thoughts. But okay, <laughs> okay, good. All right, track eleven, MIA. Same credits. I'm not sure I had ever heard this song before. I've never heard. I it I got before. to the end and I was like, I am not at all familiar with this. I felt like it was a weak closer. I was kind of bummed that this was the last one. And from Foo Archive, he's quoted as saying, MIA is a good example of me and how so often I'll just say, you know what, I'm out of here and I'll be back whenever and please don't call. So I guess this is a thing that he does. I do like the chorus of it. The chorus of it is in my head now. But I, I don't know. I was like, this is where we're ending? I was I was a little disappointed that this was it. I kind of liked it as, a, as an ending, even though it wasn't what I expected okay. from them. But I think the melodies, this song is stacked with really good melodies. And I feel like the the album is more melodic than everything else. Definitely. And it kind of makes sense that they went out on this track. 
it just like I get the vibe of the album. Sure. Like once you finish it, you're like, okay. Yeah. I get what we you went guys, on a journey. Yeah. <laughs> I get what you guys were trying to do here sonically. Like, right. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, it wasn't, I wanted like a breakout song, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I said, I thought, um, I think it's a good bookend song. I, I agree. I thought that that was kind of, it felt like, especially that last little drum beat at the end. Cause it ends on like the drums and the tape machine going at the end, which is kind of cool. It is cool from a production standpoint, but I felt like it kind of had a not the same intensity as New Way Home from Color the Shape, but kind of the same lyrical kind of vibe. Like I'm out of here, like I'm finding ah. like a different space. So I thought it was kind of like it kind of mimicked that, which was which was interesting. Mm. But yeah, it's it's one of those ones I I also kind of forget about, but I do enjoy it when it comes on. I'm like, oh yeah, this song, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I just don't know why. I feel like I and I don't I don't think I said this at the beginning. This was the first Foo Fighters album that I bought. I remember having this album. I think I was a little young for the color and the shape. I appreciated those songs on the radio, but I didn't have that album. And I bought mm. this one and I was super familiar and I listened to it a lot. And then when I heard this, I was like, my brain is not at all remembering this song. So mm, I even weird. went to see if it was a bonus track. I was like, maybe it wasn't on that album, but it definitely <laughs> was. So maybe I just never got that far. You didn't get know. past Aurora. You're like, I'm maybe out. I was like, what the fuck is this? And then I just <laughs> like, went I'm back. checking out of this yeah. album. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So. Sean, we're going to ask your favorite, your least favorite, and okay. honorable mention. You're allowed one one pity vote. Okay. So what do you got? What do you think? Well, my favorite, I already said, I think Aurora is probably my favorite, even though you both hate it. Kate's face. Sorry. I'm, I'm just good. like floored by that. Okay, okay. Which I think is great, because there are things that I like and Kate doesn't when we're, when we're talking it's, about it's like music stuff. True. And I'm like, this is great. I mean, it it's true. boggles my mind sometimes. I'm like, this is perfect. That's how... That's, you know, it's the juxtaposition. Like, yeah. everyone has a different opinion, comes with different things, which is great. So, yeah. I love, I think it's mostly just because of the guitar, the guitarist in me liking the sounds and a lot of yeah. stuff on this whole album, probably. Um, I could see, just from a songwriting standpoint, you're probably like, okay, this kind of meanders. But I like that one a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my least favorite was probably Learn to Fly. Um, right? I think that's what okay. we said. Yeah, that I, that's, you know, it's it's good. Um, I just think it's just been... I've I've heard it so much that it's yeah. you know not mm-hmm. my favorite. And then you know going through this again, um, you know I really started liking next year again more the more that I listened to it, which yeah. wasn't always my favorite. But after listening to it, kind of with like actually really focusing on every with song, intent. I was like, yeah. it's a well written song. Like it's, yeah. it's just a great pop song. Like he, it's he, so good. you know the, so I think that one kind of surprised me mm. for sure. Kate, what about you? For the best, I really struggled between Generator and New Year. I think I'm going to have to go with Generator just because I always gravitate toward, like, more rock. Although I can absolutely appreciate why... Or, what am I I said New Year. Next year. Why that one. It's just so good. It's just so, so beautiful. But I have to go with Generator. I think it's just... The structure of it is interesting. The choices they're making are so interesting. And I'm, like, engaged from start to finish. I just love that song. Um, Worst is Aurora, for reasons already mentioned. (laughs) Gross. So sorry. Um, (laughs) I had a very difficult time picking an honorable mention or an underdog. And I guess there's a difference between the two. To me, underdog Mm. is a song that's, like, way better than I had initially thought. And honorable mention is, like, oh, this would be a third favorite or something. Um, I wrote Gimme Stitches with a question mark. I like that song so i i think i wasn't sure because i feel like underdog is supposed to be like oh i didn't think i like it but i actually do but i guess in listening to it i can hear that it's a much better song than i originally thought it was so that's going to be my honorable mention slash underdog pick yeah okay my favorite song on this album is give me stitches i think oh wow cool i really really like it um, I'll give my honorable mention to Breakout as my second okay, favorite. Okay, good. It's a Jamie Jam, and it's a I jam. really that song is rocking. And least is Live in Skin because I I completely forgot about it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't ever need to go back. <laughs> All right. I will say so far this is my favorite album of theirs out of the three that wow. we have done. I think this is way better than The Color and the Shape. Oh my goodness. Okay, can yeah. we do closing thoughts now? Yeah, go for it. What do you got? I have, like, pre-written, but now I have more from this. Okay, so like I said, of the three albums we've heard so far, this is the one I was most familiar with. 
Personally, I think it's the weakest. Really? I feel, and it's just personal, right? I feel like it's lacking the punch of the previous two albums. I do think the first album was a little too leaning Nirvana for me. Color and the Shape is just where it's at for me. It's that perfect mix of like in your face aggression. And then like we can also do some softer stuff. I feel like this album is just maybe too soft for me. Um... I, I think that's why I like it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I do love there's, it's more melody driven and I like I love like rock music. Yeah. Too there's a line of it being too hard where to me I'm just not interested right. where I feel like you take away the detail in the instruments right. when it's too loud and too rocking and I feel like this was on a good line. Mm-hmm. I think though I think in like talking to you guys and especially hearing Sean's input if I were to listen back to this album with like the gearhead brain of like what are the technical things that they're doing how are they changing their sound I would Mm. appreciate it more because I do think I'm super impressed that they did it themselves and they had their own mission for this but I like if I really had to listen to the album again which is just surprising to me like I probably wouldn't like generator Mm. and next year good but like i don't really need to hear anything else off this album really yeah yeah Yeah. what are your closing thoughts sean what do you think i love this album i love this album um i think part (laughs) of it is also i mean i listen to the color of the shape a lot and which is interesting so i mean this is the 90s so you had you couldn't hear anything beforehand right there wasn't youtube you couldn't find like oh the band played this before but there was i mean they were touring on that first album forever and even when I saw them, they had some of the songs from Color in the Shape. They were playing them live already because they had they needed more songs to headline the tour, right? So sure, yeah. there were bootleggers and people had tapes, and I got you know tapes of some of those songs. So I had I knew some of those songs like okay. two years before. Yeah, they recorded it, like Butterfly wow. or um, you know some of the other ones that were on there and some of the B sides too. So I heard the Color in the Shape so much that mm. like when it came out, I was kind of like. Oh, I know the song. I know the song. I know the song. I was kind of like waiting for something new. So I felt like this one was kind of like a fresh start for me. So I always kind of had a soft spot for this one just because it was like brand new stuff. And plus coming from not really following them at that point to kind of going back and like having it all available, like all the singles, all the interviews kind of like there. It was kind of interesting to kind of consume it a little differently than how I did like kind of drips and drabs before. So I I just I just think overall like Gabby said it's a the melodies are really good. I think he's not screaming his head off all the time, which is kind of refreshing sometimes. Yeah. And I think even like the softer songs are just a little more well written. Like I think they're just polished up a little bit. Um than than the last one. I like that it's a three piece. I mm. like that. I thought that was really cool that he played all the guitar stuff on it. I think Nate Mendel really steps up on this one where he's, you know, kind of finding his place. He's doing, doing a lot of noty stuff, but also doing stuff that's, you know, kind of just backbeat. Like he's yeah. not always having to, to, you know, kind of do, do crazy, crazy stuff. And I think he carries that through the rest of the albums, which is cool. Mm. And I just, I just like how they recorded it. So I, I don't know. It just always had a soft spot for me. Um, whenever they played those songs live, I was like, oh, wow, they're playing one from that album. Because they have so many singles, you know. So yeah. when you hear them, you know, go to play Aurora or, you know, even a- a- any of these other ones, you know, you, you kind of get, you know, it has a special place for me. So I, yeah. I, I enjoy this album. I, I hear what you're saying, though. I mean, The Color and Shape is a fantastic rock record. Mm, I mean, it is, yeah. It's so spot on. It's like, it's crazy, like, how, how they did that. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. This one, in, in the longevity, this one um, definitely ha- has it. And maybe it's also because it's recorded on their own. Um, and yeah, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm kind of getting, as, as you know, Kate, I mean, we've been getting into that more. So I kind of go down the rabbit hole and start looking at, like, how'd they do this? Why'd they do this? What were the choices made? And mm. trying to figure it out, like, oh, that's how they did it. So I think just from that standpoint, uh, it's kind of interesting to me. Yeah. So. yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't, I just, I think you can tell that they had a good time recording this. Mm. You can tell that it was very, like, relaxed environment yeah. and that they were enjoying themselves. And it that comes through. And I think you can definitely tell when an artist releases a song and that wasn't the experience. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. there's something in, in songs like that. So I, I just like it as a whole mm-hmm. package. Yeah. And there's something about, even though they are this rock band and they can be pretty gritty, there's something about the Foo Fighters that's like a Colgate commercial. Yeah. With, like, the sparkle <laughs> on the smile. Right, right, smiles. right. Like, they're just, like, totally. the cutest band. And they get, they're so versatile, too. And I guess yeah. that's what I'll say, too, is I think... 
if I look at these albums as an example of what they're able to do, this one is mm-hmm. a standout in that way. For like, sure. we're not pigeonholed into the screaming things. I think I just prefer screaming. I think <laughs> that's like, totally cool. I like the anger, you know. That's totally cool. <laughs> but I'm eager to hear the next album. I, I don't know where what sound we're going to go to next. I don't know that one at all. So I'm afraid of it, to be honest, because reading all their recognition and lists and stuff, that the next one's not on anything. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll have to see. Yikes. Uh, oh, my gosh. All right. Well, Sean, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much, Sean. Us on this episode. Yeah, thanks for thinking of me. Yeah. I appreciate really, it. Really fun hearing your, your insight on here as a... Of the biggest Foo fan we've had on the show. Yeah, <laughs> truly, awesome. truly. Uh, do you have any, I mean, I know you're recording us. Is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything? Um, well, we're recording, which will come back, come out hopefully this fall. Um, yeah. I've been starting to record more local bands, so a couple of Asbury Park bands. Um, Sun cool. Vessels, they'll have an EP coming out probably in the next month or two, if I could finish it up, yeah. which is pretty <laughs> exciting. So, um, yeah. yeah, so that's that's kind of what I got going on, so. Awesome. And I appreciate being asked to come on. I I was a big fan of the first uh, season. I listened to all of them. Oh, cool. I went on the journey with Kate. I would be driving to work and he would text me like, OMG, what about this? And I'm like, I know. I know. (laughs) I I know. She comes out. She's good, right? Isn't it good? There's some good stuff in there. Yes. There's a lot, though. There's a lot. (laughs) There's also a lot of bad ones, but we won't get into that. I know. know. But I I thought it's a great look of how you guys are doing this. So very very cool, cool to see what you. what this Foo Fighters journey takes you on so it's different yeah, it's a yeah, different for journey sure. for sure it's definitely different <laughs> yeah it's much especially because I don't really know them whereas Taylor was so much easier because I it, like I almost didn't need to listen to the albums right. again <laughs> yeah right <laughs> this is like actual homework, this is homework. yeah this is real homework <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that last night I was like god damn like I should like study up again right. and just like read through my notes <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> to the band Above the Moon for writing and recording our theme song. You can find them on Instagram at Above the Moon Music or on their website, AboveTheMoonMusic.com. If you enjoyed listening, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite platform. And if you really enjoyed listening, leave us a like, rate us, or review us so more people can find us. You can keep up with news about new episodes on Instagram at Minor Notes Podcast or email us, MinorNotesPodcast at gmail.com. Minor Notes is a finally cool production. Next week, we'll be discussing the Foo Fighters' fourth album, One by One, with teacher, writer, and co-host of the Buttheads podcast, Tristan Edelman.